welcome to the Atmosphere Church Podcast. On behalf of all of us here at Atmosphere, thank you for downloading or streaming this message. We pray that it will touch your heart and change your life. Regardless of what you believe, where you come from, or what questions you might have, you are welcome here. Our desire is to help lead you in experiencing God by following Jesus. If you want to find out more information about us, head over to our website at atmosphere.church. We have already prayed for you that today's message would speak directly to your heart and empower you to live the life that God has called you to live. Enjoy the message. I don't know how many of you guys are familiar with what Mac users call the pinwheel of death, but every once in a while on my laptop, if I do too much too fast on the computer, I will get this little swirly thing. How many have ever seen it on your computer? If, if you're PC, it might look a little different, but I, I just get a little uncomfortable every time that, that colored pinwheel comes up and it starts spinning because I've had experiences where that stayed on for a couple of seconds and then it disappears and I'm able to use my computer. But other times I've actually been working on my computer and that thing starts spinning and I wait a minute five minutes, 10 minutes, and that thing is still spinning. And then, you know, you have to do what you don't want to do because you forgot to save your document. You have to restart your computer. And then, you know, by doing that, it's just like the the restart of death, right? Because that document is gone. It's never to come back again. But sometimes that's what has to happen in order for your computer to start working and functioning properly. It needs a great reset. And I think, along with our pruning shears last week in our series, I think if I were to give a symbol of 2020, it would be the pinwheel of death. It's like, as we look back in history, I think they should just use that symbol and and everyone will know universally, oh, it's 2020. (laughs) That's what they mean by that. And so I look at this reset series as an opportunity to go back and reset some of the things in our lives that may have gotten a little funky last year. And last week we talked about the benefits of being pruned and how God uses that pruning to create a new blooming for our life. And today I want to focus and zero in on one of the most powerful, important parts of your faith, and that is your prayer life. So we're looking at the book of Acts through this series. We're looking at these different stories and different scriptures. And the book of Acts is a very important book of the Bible. And in this book, it it talks about all of these experiences that the early followers of Jesus experienced. And so some may be tempted to read this as a history book, but I look at it as a training manual. And so I want you with a fresh lens, as we read Acts chapter 12, I want you to look at this as a training manual when it comes to the subject of prayer. So verse one, I'm going to read probably 18 verses. So you got to hang with me. I typically don't read this much in one uh, sitting here like this, but it, it needs to be all read together. It says, now about that time, Herod the king laid hands on some who belonged to the church in order to mistreat them. And he had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. Now, these are, James was one of the 12 disciples of Jesus. 
Stephen had already been killed for his faith in Christ. And now you see James, one of the original crew, being executed because of his faith in Jesus. And when Herod had saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. Now it was during the days of unleavened bread when he had seized him. So there's a big festival happening in Jerusalem at this point. And he put him in prison. Uh, when he sees him, he put him in prison, delivering him to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out before the people. So Peter was kept in the prison, but prayer for him was being made fervently. Say with me, fervently. Come on. Say fervently. I know that, that, that it's not a common word, so you're like, I don't know. Fervently by the church to God. On the very night when Herod was about to bring him forward, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and guards in front of the door were watching over the prison. See, they had already experiences where they were released from prison, so they're like, we're making sure this guy doesn't get away. And behold, an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared, and a light shone in the cell, and he struck Peter's side and woke him up, saying, get up quickly. And his chains fell off his hands, and the angel said to him, gird yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And when he went out and continued to follow, he did not know that what was being done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. Have you guys ever had a dream and you woke up and you just thought that the dream was like your real life? You're like, that was so vivid and it was so like <laughs> real that you woke up and you were surprised that it was a dream. This is kind of the space that Peter's in. He's just not even realizing that this is real life. And it says that when they passed the first and second guard, they came to the iron gate that leads into the city, which opened for them by itself. And they went out and went along one street, and immediately the angel departed from him. And when Peter came to himself, he said, now I know for sure that the Lord has sent forth his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. And when he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, who was also called Mark. And this is where the story gets really funny. Where many were gathered together and were praying for Peter. Okay, they were praying for me. When he knocked at the door of the gate, this would be equivalent to like somebody coming to your front door and going, hey, it, 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 a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer and she recognized Peter's voice. Because of her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and announced that Peter was standing at the front of the gate. And they said to her, you are out of your mind. <laughs> They're praying for Peter to be released Peter gets released and he's at the door to testify going, your prayers worked. And they're like, you're out of your mind. You know, we're praying, but God didn't bring him out of prison. And she kept insisting that it was so. And they kept saying, it's his angel. Like they already killed him. But Peter continued knocking. And when they had opened the door, they saw him and were amazed. Remember last week I talked about that spirit of awe that the church was experiencing in the book of Acts chapter 2? Like there was another moment of awe, like, are you kidding me? We're praying for you to be released and now you are here with us in our living room. And 
motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had led him out of the prison. And he said, report these things to James, who was actually the half-brother of Jesus in the brethren. And then he left and went to another place. And now when day came, there was no small disturbance among the soldiers as to what could have become of Peter. So I set the story up for you, but I want us to look at this not as like this event in history, but as a template for how to pray. Because there was something in their prayer that loosened the chains that bound Peter, that opened the prison doors that held Peter, that, bring, that, that, that brought Peter a deliverance from his imminent death by Herod and his crew. So the prayers of the church were done in such a way, think about this, chains were removed, doors were opened, and deliverance was given. Now I want to zero in on one verse in this whole passage, and it's verse 5. And this is what we want to focus in on today. It says, so Peter was kept in the prison, but prayer for him was being made fervently by the church to God. Now, I did a Greek study on this word fervently because it's not a commonly used English word. And in the English language, it actually means to be impassioned, to be heartfelt, to be powerful, to be wholehearted. But in the Greek language, the root word comes from this word that, that actually means to stretch out one's hand. And I don't know if you've ever had to stretch yourself out to grab something or to put something away. But this last week, we, we have our garages full of stuff from storage from Bakersfield. And we got all of our Christmas stuff in there. We, we have church stuff in there. It's like we have the garage that we cannot park a car in. Anybody else with me on that? Okay, that's our house. So, so I have to put this thing up on this shelf and I can't even get there because there's these boxes in the way. So I put this little step ladder as close as I could to this area that I needed to get to. I grab this box, I lift myself up on my toes and, and it's kind of not in front of me, it's kind of like to the side. So I'm like standing on my toes and it's as much as I could, I stretch my body out, stretch my long old arm and my long fingers, and I just yeah, got that thing in there. Now, the reason I describe that to you is this is what the word fervently means. So here's my question to you, church. When it comes to your prayer life, would you describe your prayers as really stretching you out? and really causing you to be impassioned and wholehearted and powerful to get something done. This is the idea of what Acts 12 is teaching us. Not just to pray a prayer, and everybody knows about prayer. I mean, even Congress last week, they kicked off last weekend with the 117th Congress by a representative from Missouri who is an ordained minister, by the way. And he gave this prayer because that's what they do when they bring Congress together. And this is before all of the craziness broke out this week. This was on the weekend. And this prayer went viral for all the wrong reasons. Because in this prayer, it's scripted. 
It's politically correct, so he's making sure, like, he's acknowledging every God that he can think of. And, and then this is what made it go viral. He says, amen at the end of the prayer. And then he says, and a woman, a man and a woman. And I don't know if he's trying to be funny or whatever, but what bothered me wasn't the way he ended the prayer. What bothered me most, I think, was the prayer itself. Because it was like the most vanilla prayer I've ever heard in my life. And, and, and if you want the context of the word vanilla, yeah, you have to go listen to our, our talk last week. Because when I say vanilla, I'm talking about something just bland, boring, the opposite of fervent. It's like vanilla. And so here is this guy, and he's given this vanilla prayer. I'm like, why, why are they even taking time out to do this little prayer? Because I don't, what good is it doing? I mean, the kind of prayer that we're being called to pray as people of God, as followers of Jesus, is in Acts 4, verse 31. I don't know how many times we've maybe read through that, and it just we read right past it. But I, I want to I go back and look at this. Because as we're talking about a great reset, that we need to reset how we are praying so that more chains could be falling off of our lives. More doors could be opening for our lives. More deliverance can be given to our lives. Acts 4 verse 31. And when they had prayed, the place where they had gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God with boldness. When is the last time you prayed and you felt that you were shaken? Or you prayed for your family and they were shaken? Or you prayed even as a church and, and the church was shaken? There's something here that I want to go back and I want to reset our church. I want to reset our lives as followers of Jesus to live this kind of way and to pray these kind of prayers. Are you with me, church? To where things are shaken, where the Holy Spirit is coming and filling us with boldness and courage and change that we all desperately need. Listen how Jesus prays. Luke 22, verse 44. It's a pretty famous verse. It says, in being in agony, he was praying very fervently and his sweat became like drops of blood falling down upon the ground. So in Jesus' prayer, and this is right before he's arrested and he's going to be put on trial and crucified and he knows it's coming for him. And in that moment, he is praying, not a vanilla prayer, God, help me. I'm in trouble. Please come. He's sweating. He's perspiring. He's so impassioned that the sweat and the blood are coming together in this phenomenon that we just look at and just like, wow. But here's my question. Are, are we praying prayers that, that are actually making us perspire? Are we really like leaning in and believing for God to bring us a breakthrough and deliverance and to open doors no man can shut and to let chains fall off of our lives so much that we can say that we're actually perspiring? James 5 verse 16, confess your trespasses to one another. Pray for one another that you may be healed. And then this is the powerful part of this verse. The effective 
fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. That, that word avails could be translated accomplishes. It gets stuff done. We want healing. We want miracles. We want breakthrough. But are we willing to put fervency in our prayer? And that word there, it's interesting. It's a cousin of the other word that I, I covered in the Greek language. This is the word energeo, where we get our English word energy. Would you describe your prayer life as energetic? I mean, when you pray, I mean, do you, do you get excited? Do you, does, does your voice kind of go up a couple you know, notches in the volume? This is how things get done on earth as they are in heaven. Are you with me, church? We need this message. I need this message. We need a great reset because God is wanting to do some great things in this world, but in order for great things to take place in this world, we need some great prayers going up to heaven. No more vanilla prayers. Turn to somebody right now and say, no more vanilla prayers. We've, we've got we to leave that in 2020, and we've got to go after some fervent prayers where things get done, where doors open wide open. And here's the thing. Sometimes you, you got to get a little audacious and tenacious. I remember years ago, I was the leader of the young adults group at our Bakersfield church. And we were having this, uh, this great revival. There were so many young adults coming. It was an amazing time. But then I was having these counseling sessions with a lot of the young adults. And they were coming to me privately saying, Pastor, man, pray for me. I'm being tempted. Uh, you know, just uh, I'm going to bars. I I'm trying not to. I'm going to parties. But there's really nothing else to do in Bakersfield. And if you're from Bakersfield, you know what I'm talking about, all right? Uh, so, so I'm listening to this from multiple young adults. And so there was a Sunday that we were gathering and they were all there and God was, was just prompting my heart about like taking this idea and this struggle and doing something about it. I said, how many of you are tired of the struggle of like having really nothing to do on the weekend but get yourself in trouble and make decisions that you later regret? And they all like raised their hand. I said, what are you willing to do about it? Are you willing to pray? They're like, yeah. I said, what if we created a space like Starbucks or like a nightclub, but it was a place where we had fun, we had a good time, there's no alcohol, everyone can just love Jesus, pursue God, and then have a great time and connect with each other. And they're like, yeah. I said, then after we're done here, Let's drive downtown, let's find a building, and let's put our hands on that building, and let's pray that God would bring us a place that we could call our own nightclub. And so they're like, yeah, let's do it. So 30 of us just stormed downtown Bakersfield, and there happened to be a bar that had shut down a month before. And so we found this uh, on the corner and, and we all parked our car. We all got out and I said, okay, you guys just grab a spot along this little wall and let's just pray. And we all took some time to pray. We probably prayed 30 minutes and then we got done. I said, okay, so are you guys ready to do this for a, a few weeks? And they're like, what are you talking about? I go, hey, if you really want to see God do something great, that is going to 
take some fervency in our prayers. We may have to get a little radical and come out here a little bit more often than just one time. So guess what? We did it multiple times. We went back and we prayed over the building for for multiple weeks. And I, I forget on the timeline exactly when it happened, but it wasn't too long after that first prayer that my father-in-law, who is the senior pastor of our church, randomly calls me. And he says, I've had this thought, and I've been thinking about this. Like, when I first received Christ, we were going down to Orange County to this Calvary Chapel, and they had this coffee house where everybody would just come together, and they would sing, like, these worship songs, and they would just have this, like, pot of coffee out, and all these hippies would just come and drink coffee and listen to music, and I was like, my mind was being blown away. I'm like, he's describing what we're praying for, but in a 70s way, and, and so I'm like, I'm like, hey, we've been, we've been actually, as young adults, we've been praying for a place like this. That's all he needed, because then he's like, we're going to go find a place, I, I told him this place that I had, you know, we had prayed for. And on that same street, he calls me up. He goes, hey, I don't know about that location, but I just went in this location. It's a janitorial supply company, which I was like, okay. <laughs> he goes, but, but meet me down there. So I go down there and I meet him. And I'm looking at this, you know, front area and they have all these janitorial supplies. I'm like, okay. And then they open the back. And it was just like, I saw a vision from heaven of concerts. I saw like people just like coming, young people coming and just having this place. And I'm like, yes, I see it. Well, we talked to the owner of the place who happened to be the same guy who owned the first building that my father-in-law started a Bible study in with 10 teenagers, this Quonset hut place in Bakersfield, same guy. And he goes, oh, I remember this, this church. I remember you. He goes, I'm going to give you a deal. And he gave us like this crazy price. The church bought it outright with cash. It was just amazing. We owned it. But then it was like, what do we do with this? It's a janitorial supply company. The Lord put this guy in my path that was a farmer in Bakersfield that was the CEO of this major company. And I start talking to him about this vision. He says, I want to help you with this. I I have a group called Young Life and they need a place to meet. And what you're describing is perfect. That's what we want. So he came in with his contractor friends. They renovated the whole place. He paid for it. We partner with Young Life. And every weekend, this place called Station 316, that's what we called it. Station 3, we served coffee. We served you know, smoothies. And we had all these bands that came. I mean, you would go downtown in Bakersfield and you would see a line of young people wrapped around like, like this was like some club in Hollywood. Like what is happening here? And it was God and God was moving in our young people. But I will tell you, it all began with prayer. Doors open, I believe that would have never otherwise been open because of not just a vanilla prayer. Oh Lord, please bring us this coffee house. Oh Lord, bring bring us this nightclub. No, it was the fervent, effective prayer that accomplished much. Church, I want to challenge you today that as we get into this new year, as we desire to see God do great things for our lives, it's going to take us re-examining and reigniting the way that we pray. Let me really quickly, because we're, we're almost out of time already, but I want to give you the four purposes of powerful prayers. Four purposes of fervent, energetic 
passionate, powerful prayers. Why we pray. Some of you are new to faith. You're like, why, why, why do we pray? And what is prayer all about? This is a perfect message for you. Here's, write this down. Here's point one. Here's the first way. The first reason it's for your wounds. Here's what's true about you. And it's true about me. We've all been wounded. Sometimes the wounds that we have are self-inflicted. This is what the Bible calls sin. It's when we make decisions that are outside of God's will and God's ways that he wants for our life. And we've all made those decisions. And the best way I can describe it is, is when we do things to sabotage our lives, it's like an arrow gets stuck in us. And so we have these self-inflicted wounds by bad decision-making on our part, but then there's, there's people that come in our life and hurt us. Those are a different kind of arrow, but they're an arrow nonetheless. And then there's just tragedies and, and bad circumstances that happen in our life when we get wounded. We get all of these arrows inside of us, and when we make a decision that we are going to pray and we are going to come into the presence of God, he uses that opportunity to partner with us so he can move close to us and get on the inside of us and begin healing those wounds that some of them are dark and deep, and he begins healing them from the inside out. He begins taking those arrows out one after another and he begins putting his hand on your heart and on your spirit and on your soul and he begins to mend you and he begins to make you whole again. This is why sometimes when you come into the presence of God, you start tearing up. You start crying. I can't tell you how many stories of people that have come to church for the very first time and they're sitting in a message like this. They're hearing worship like we, we played today and they just start crying. And they've never experienced anything like that. And they'll come up to me and go, I don't know what's going on, but I can't stop crying. And I am convinced now more than ever that those tears are evidence that God is at work inside of you, healing you of your wounds. And even in me saying that right now, some of you are, are tearing up. And God sent me here today to tell you there's a healing taking place in your wounded heart. Because you know why? Because our God is a healing God. He's Jehovah Rapha. He is the Lord that heals us. And the more time we spend in his presence through prayer, the more healing is taking place for our souls. This is where confession comes in. This is when you know you made decisions in your life that aren't right. You just come before God and say, God, I, I'm willing to come in agreement with you that what I did was not right. You know, the Bible says when you do that, he is faithful to forgive you of your sin and to cleanse you of all of your unrighteousness. That, that is a healing process of God that comes in when we begin getting right with him. Here's the second point. Write this down. It's not just for your wounds. It's for your weaknesses. And we all have those weaknesses. And your weakness isn't necessarily the weakness of your neighbor, but we all have those areas that we could probably use some help with. Let's be honest. And what God does is he takes our prayer life and as we're fervently seeking him, he fills us up with the strength that we don't have on our own. He gives us power that is beyond our own self-will and self-power to resist temptation, 
to live the life that he's called us to live. Listen to what it says in Galatians 5. This is a scripture that is so good. It says, but I say, walk by the spirit and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another so that you may not do the things that you please. The desires of your flesh are in conflict with the desires that God has for your life. And I will go as far as to say there are some desires in your flesh that want to sabotage the desires of God and how he wants to move for your future. And what happens is when we're praying, God is downloading for us the strength to be overcomers in whatever weaknesses we're experiencing. You're an overcomer by default because the Spirit of God lives in you. But the more time you're spending in prayer, the more strength you're building up to overcome. I love how I read one author. He said it this way. He says, your life can be pitiful or powerful. The determining factor is the presence of God in your life. More presence equals more power. More presence equals more power. So think of fervent prayer as like fuel in your gas tank for your life. And some of us, we love riding our cars with the E-light on. It's like, I got, I got a couple more miles, it says, until I need to fill up. See, prayer is keeping our tank full so that we won't live empty lives and crash into temptations and other ways that want to sabotage our future. Here's the third point. Write this down because I got to move quickly. And that's for your wisdom. So not only is, is your prayer life helping your weaknesses, it's helping you with wisdom. There are decisions on your plate, I'm sure, that you're confused by, you're doubtful about. What is the right decision I need to make? Do you know God wants to help you make those decisions? He wants to guide you. The Holy Spirit is our helper, James 1.5. But if any of you lacks wisdom, you should pray to God who will give it to you because God gives generously and graciously to all. That's God's desire. He wants to give you wisdom and discernment to help you with your decisions. But see, many people look at prayer as a monologue when actually it's a dialogue. We speak to God, but then we give God space to be able to speak back to us. This is why the Apostle Paul, when he's writing the Bible, he says, pray without stopping. Pray without stopping. That means keep an open line to God all day. Can you imagine you call somebody on your phone and maybe you have a little earbud in your ear and you say, hey, I'm going to keep you on all day so that we can just have a conversation throughout the day. You do what you need to do. I'll do what I need to do. And, and, and we'll talk as, as we just want to talk. That, that's what Paul's talking about here. He's saying, saying, keep an open line because at any given moment, do you know that God wants to download wisdom to you throughout your day? So, so don't just like use prayers like a 10 minute, Lord, here's my shopping list. Help me in everything that I have to accomplish today. In Jesus name, amen. And then go out and live your life. God's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I want to talk to you. And the way that God speaks to us the most is he causes us to notice things. Do you know that we all have these cluster of nerve cells at the base of our brainstem called, neurologists call it the reticular activating system or the RAS. It's the part of your brain that helps you to pay attention to things. 
And we need that because there are so many things that could grab our attention that we need this part of our brain to, to zero in and like kind of blur out everything else, kind of focus us in on what we're supposed to pay attention to. Let me tell you, as a, as a person of God, as a follower of Jesus, God has sanctified your reticular activating system so that you will notice the things that he wants you to pay attention to. Part of the reason that Tara and I planted this church in Thousand Oaks is we couldn't get away from Thousand Oaks. I mean, before our, our friend Darren Laws told us about this Bible study he was doing and he invited us to be a guest speaker at the Bible study, I asked him, I go, where is Thousand Oaks? I'm a, I'm a desert guy. I, I grew, grew up in Bakersfield, so we didn't know about this valley. We either went to Pismo Beach or Disneyland. We bypassed this whole area. So all of a sudden, he's telling me about Thousand Oaks, and, and we came, we spoke, and I was like, beautiful area. But I, I said no, and we kind of forgot about it until God began downloading story after story after story. I couldn't get away with Thousand Oaks. It was popping up uh, with cars in front of me to things on the radio to people in my Vegas church talking about Thousand Oaks. There's a couple, the spirit one day said, go talk to this couple. And I thought they were struggling with something. I'm like, hey, I really felt drawn over here. Like, are you guys okay? Like, what's going on? How can I pray for you? They're like, oh, we're great. But this is great to meet you. We've never told you our story. You go, what's your story? Like, we moved here to be closer to our grandkids, but we actually lived in this place called Thousand Oaks. Have you heard of it? I'm like, yes, I have. I can't get away from it. It just keeps going and going and going. I'm telling you now, as I look back, that was God's way of saying, hello, McFly, I'm sending you to Thousand Oaks. There are decisions that will become a lot easier as you are in prayer and you begin noticing the ways that God is going out of his way to make you pay attention to. We call them confirmations, but he wants to speak to you. He wants to give you wisdom. He wants to give you an answer to that question that you might have, but you got to pay attention. Number four, write this down, for your warfare. For your warfare. You don't need a pastor to tell you that you're in a fight, do you? I mean, some of you are married. You know what I'm talking about. You're like, yeah, I had one on the way to church this morning. Matter of fact, pastor... We fight with our families. We fight with our coworkers. And look at our nation. We're fighting with each other. It's terrible. But you know what the Bible says about this? For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. My friends, you are at war and some of you didn't even know that. There's an adversary against your life that wants to sabotage the plans and purposes of God for your life. The Bible calls him the devil, Satan, but he's not alone. There's a demonic realm that's very much alive and real on this planet. And the Bible says that when we pray, God gets heaven involved with our fight. He gets God and heaven and all the angels involved with our fight. There was a, a movie released some years ago called The War Room. Who, who watched The War Room? Such a good movie. It's a Christian flick. A little bad acting, but you know. But I love the movie. I love the message of the movie. Because 
this woman of God knew that if things were to change and take place, then we needed to call in air support. Your life and your struggle, your fight, the war that's raging in your life, in, in your emotions, in your mental health, in, in your family, in, in your finances, in, in your physical health, God wants to get involved and help you. And his great partnership is prayer. Sure, he could just do whatever he wants, but he chose this vehicle called prayer because more than answering your prayer, he wants to be in connection with you. He wants you to be in his presence. So when you call out to God to get involved in your fight, the Bible tells us angels are being released from heaven and coming to help us fight our battles. Heaven is getting involved. It says in the book of Revelation that the prayers of the saints were as incense to the throne room of God. And if you've ever smelled incense, you know it's like it gets your it gets your attention. And our prayer life is getting the attention of heaven to get involved with whatever it is that you're praying about. This is where intercession comes in. If you have somebody that you love, that you are knowing that they're in need, then we need to pray. Because when we're praying on somebody's behalf, we're getting heaven involved for that person. Maybe somebody's far from God in your family. Pray. Get heaven involved in that situation. Daniel was faced with a, a, a monumental task of, of trying to be a mouthpiece of heaven for his people. And he's praying and, and nothing's happening. And he fasts and nothing's happening. And 21 days later, finally, there's a breakthrough. And an angel comes and shows up and says, here I am, Daniel. Most of us, if an angel showed up in our prayer time, we would probably need to change our pants. But Daniel says, what took you so long? That's pretty bold. The angel says, God heard your prayer from day one. But this prince of Persia came against me and held me captive to this point. But it took an angel from heaven to come and release me to be here to deliver this message to you. My friends, intercession sometimes takes more than one prayer. It, it takes more sometimes than, than two prayers. That, this is what inspired us on a 21-day prayer and fast challenge was a prayer that Daniel prayed in Daniel chapter 10. So let's raise some incense to heaven. Let's let God start fighting the battles and the war that's going on against our lives, against our cities, and against our nation. And one of the biggest ways we can call in the air support is through our worship. So I want you to stand your feet. I know we're way over time, but this message calls for it. We're just going to go into overtime. And, and I want you to pray through worship. And singing may be uncomfortable for you, but I encourage you. I don't care what kind of voice you have. Just sing. Just sing. And sing fervently. Sing passionately. Sing powerfully. Nobody's going to care. But... But sing in such a way that you can feel this release of heaven coming to earth, fighting on your behalf for whatever struggle that you may be facing. Church, let's worship together. Thank you for tuning in today to another great message from Atmosphere Church. If this message has spoken to your heart, would you take a moment and share it with your friends? You can connect with us on Spotify, 
iTunes Podcast, YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. Simply do a search for Atmosphere Church through these various platforms, and then click the follow or subscribe buttons. It's another great way for us to be able to stay connected with you. If you live in the Southern California area, we would love to invite you to be a part of our family. For more information about our church, go to our official website at atmosphere.church. Finally, if this service and our other resources bless you, would you consider giving back to Atmosphere Church to support not just these things, but to also support the creation of even more resources for you? To make a donation, simply go to our website and click the link that says Give. Your gift of any amount is greatly appreciated. Until next time, we pray you will keep the faith, spread the hope, and live the love. Mm-hmm.